Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Special community. <laughs> I am James, <laughs> aka the Six Button Samurai, aka JJJ, and uh, with me, as always, is the mighty Game Agent uh, ET, fresh out of Osaka. Yeah. From the internet to my sweet loving ears. How are you, Eddie? Uh, I I can't feel feelings right now because <laughs> what's going on with that? We'll Emotions are dangerous, later. Eddie. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, uh, emotions can kill you sometimes. But oh, it's true, it's terrible what happened uh, just recently. We'll talk about it more later. But other than that, yeah. um, still sweating out here in Osaka. It's still yeah. humid AF, and. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when that'll change, hopefully soon, but uh, what about Tucson? What's going on down there? A little bit mellower. There have been some highs in the high 90s. This Same week, as here. Which but... is a downturn, but of course, it's a dry heat. <laughs> you got to remember that. <laughs> Every time you come to Arizona, especially Tucson, yeah. uh, the, the catchphrase is, but it's a dry heat. Right. Yeah. Um... Um, but hey, guess what? Um, what this weekend? Yeah, uh, they re-released the original Super Mario Brothers in Japanese theaters. Wow. The one with Bob Hoskins. I don't know why. Wow! But that's in theaters now. It's dubbed in my area, but yeah. I'm really tempted to go. <laughs> you know, I've never seen the I... movie before. But... <laughs> that would be a great way to see it. Um, yeah, I bought it. What did it? Around the time when I saw um, the newer animated Super Mario Brothers movie, um, I noticed that that DVD was five bucks on Amazon. Yeah. So I bought it <laughs> and made it about halfway through. And I was like, oh, God. I just, I can't keep going right now. So I've not seen it in its totality yet. Yeah. I mean, if anyone has seen Street Fighter the movie with John Von uh John Claude Van Damme, um that was a movie for me. It was so bad it was good. Yeah, but, I don't know that this actually crosses crosses into that threshold. I don't know that it ever reaches <laughs> that. I think it's just bad. But, but I know that opinions vary wildly. There are many that feel like that movie does fall squarely into that particular cubby that yeah. it is so bad it's good. Um, mm. The really weird thing for me is that um, the people that uh, I can't remember their names for the life of me and I feel bad because they actually directed a thing that I liked very much in that before doing the Super Mario Brothers movie, the 1993 movie, um, they did a pilot on British TV for Max Hedron. And that one hour long special wound up forming the basis for the pilot for the American Max Hedron series. And... Um. I was already very familiar with like their visual style and their world building. And the bizarro thing is that essentially 
they tried to do much the same thing in Super Mario Brothers. Wow. <laughs> Which, if you think it, about wait, it, wait, it's wait. just... <laughs> Is that why Dennis Hopper, who played uh, King Koopa, had that kind of head shape? It very may it very may well be because there uh, is yeah, Max Headroom had that of, like slicker type of yes, hair. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, that it's kind a of, of a like collage thing meets Blade Runner. Yeah, meets something else, and like it absolutely worked like a charm to portray the near future tech dystopia. That was the world of Max Headroom and Network 23. But ooh, I just, <laughs> it's so not a fit for Super Mario Brothers in any like conceivable way, shape, or form. And I just, I'm still astonished that, like, I mean, fundamentally in that year, you had largely the same people at Nintendo steering those franchises. To a great extent, we're talking, you know, Hiroshi Yamauchi, who of course has long since passed, but you had Shigeru Miyamoto, you had Takashi Tezuka, you had a variety of those same creative people there. And it's just astonishing to me that that movie materialized in that form. That, like, even without seeing it, but it also went through like this unbelievably tortured development cycle where like there are multiple iterations of the script and there are multiple directors that were committed at certain points. Um, I think at one point they actually had Tom Hanks on board to be Mario. Wow. Yeah. That would so, have been like, interesting. It just went through this hurricane of iterations. And I can only imagine that like at that time, Nintendo is like, well, you know, we made such a giant dent in the world of entertainment with Super Mario Brothers 3. And I think the wizard, given whatever it did, was sort of quasi successful, quote unquote, perhaps not from an artistic standpoint, but just like in terms of awareness for the franchise. Yeah, it was it did its job. So I think. They were very eager to. They were very eager to try and double down on that, and um, mm. I think what we should do actually, we had something else that we were going to bring up immediately, but right now yeah. we should probably just slide right into the Nintendo Direct. Oh, <laughs> and talk about that because right. I, think <laughs> I think we're seeing some evidence of history repeating itself. Yeah, I, um, I hardly agree. <laughs> so. There were a lot of Mario-flavored games announced at this particular Direct. And, like, don't get me wrong. I am as dyed-in-the-wool Mario fan as you will find. But it's almost comical, given, like, how overt and without nuance this push seems to be. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely had some planning. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there was a, like, quote-unquote final trailer for Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Um, yep. There that, was that's another. That's one for me. Yeah. And the same, same for me. I think that game looks fantastic. I think it's absolutely got its heart in the right place in terms of 
attempting to dial like the more weird or creative streak that the franchise has always exhibited in greater or lesser degrees over the years. I think last episode we talked about how new Super Mario Brothers has always sort of been like, eh, like it's a very safe yeah. version of that idea. And the new, you know, Super Mario Brothers wonder really looks like it's going to be a satisfying experience. Um, there was also a new trailer for, or new footage, at least. I don't know if you call it a trailer or whatever, um, for the Super Mario RPG. Yep. Remake, remaster. I mean, I was thinking <laughs> about, I, I saw that there was some discussion about this on the Ruminations Radio Network Discord that Eddie and I are both present on. And I think you have to call it a remake. Because hmm. with the SNES game, you're literally talking about pre-rendered sprites. Everything is 2D. Like, I forget the default resolution of the Super NES is like 256 by 240. Yeah. Um, and so now that is present in 1080p with actual 3D models. I mean... It's a pretty dramatic overhaul overall. And there's even some like comparison footage where like they've definitely taken some new artistic interpretations of what a lot of those environments looked like from the original game. So, oh, yeah. I mean, there were some posts where they were saying, like, wow, now we know exactly what's on this area. Like, uh, for example, there was a table where they had a um, a Final Fantasy IV uh, uh, armored mech that mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe I, I haven't played the game, but or was it six? It's six. Sorry, uh, uh, that's okay. Yeah, uh, Terra rides it right uh, on the cover of the Japanese version. I think I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, that's actually confirmed to be in there. And then a Samus doll was yeah. confirmed to be in, a, I guess, a toy chest or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean. I mean, it's all part of the, the upgrade, but yeah, I, I still, it straddles it for me. I don't know. I, I, I haven't played RPG. You have, so yeah. you have a very much more informed uh, take on it than I do, but yeah, yeah, it's so hard. We got to get those, uh, the guys from uh, Ruminations. <laughs> but, We're talking shit. <laughs> were they really? Well, but, not not specifically, <laughs> but just you know, there's a there's also sort of a recurring joke on there because there's some people that, much like me, are very dyed in the wool. Like we enjoy traditional turn based JRPG games, and there are others there who like see that conceit as just a nod to the lesser technology of the eight and sixteen bit era. And I find that patently absurd. Uh, <laughs> but well, um, well, we can always have them uh, come here and do oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, remaster or or remake? They, uh, I guess. I a mean, little bit of you're a, fundamentally <laughs> remaking so many of those assets from the ground up. I mean, a remaster to me implies that you're taking the same elements from the original game and maybe just upping the resolution, this, that, and the other. But I mean, 
with this game, you're talking about these things just being like fundamentally rebuilt. Yeah. So I think so. Even if it stays, remake, yeah, yeah. Even if it stays very close to the original in terms of content, yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to say that that would be that would make a lot of sense, but mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. I mean, geez, uh, back on the, uh, nin- the uh, Mario train. Yeah, there's also Mario versus Donkey Kong, which I mean, I mean, I'll play it, but it's not something I was yearning for. You know what I mean? Here's the yeah. thing: I think that you and I probably agree on this particular thing, like. You and I are huge fans of the 1994 Donkey Kong remake for Game Boy. I am. And to me, I would love to see that sort of like evolved platform approach to DK appear rather than this sort of puzzle solvey thing that isn't really nearly as like satisfying in a visceral way i mean i'll be honest like i'm a, I'm just a platform fanatic at heart so anytime i see something that was a platform game that sort of slips into something else i'm a little bit just like rrr, 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 rrr. <laughs> um but i don't know i mean maybe it'll be fun um it didn't really look like the most sort of inspired use of the technology. Mm. Um, But that could just be a function of them really trying to preserve what the gameplay was like in the original. I don't know. Yeah. I would have loved just a remake of the, the Donkey Kong Game Boy game. Yes. That would have been sweet. I agree. um, I guess. Uh, with Luigi's Mansion 2, the remake, I think I would actually get that because playing it on the 3DS, it was nice at times, but there were performance issues with, right. with the rates dropping. And yeah, it was a lot it, of game for the console. It was, yeah. but it was, it's a great game. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to beat it, but um, I'd like to have a second chance at that game. And I would right. definitely get it uh, next summer when it comes out. Uh, well that was the thing that like and you know this could still yet materialize um if they're going to start looking hard at the 3ds library for games that could be remade and pulled over to switch you and i both know that the best damn thing that they could do is bust out with a link between worlds for switch yep that is by far now uh, the most underrated Zelda game that I think everyone should play because yeah. it's very close to Link to the Past, which mm-hmm. is a classic in itself, but yep. it improves. Well, it, I, I guess you can say improves, but it makes it even more fun to play. And the storyline's great, and the world is great to be a part of the unique things that you do as you uh, kind of turn into a, a drawing and. You right. know, have that mechanic where you're like sliding around and slipping through some... cracks. Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. Music's great. Gameplay is great. I mean, that's the thing I was telling you in chat earlier. Um, today I scored a 
3DS XL system that was the Link Between Worlds model. And, oh, man, that music in A Link Between Worlds is really, really good. Like, you know, A Link to the Past is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Yeah. And for some reason, like, they really took this very interesting, like, and it's not quite, like, full-on... It's definitely not like a full-on orchestrated thing. I mean, I, I think it's definitely still kind of a chiptune thing. But the iterations of those songs, you know, taking them from A Link to the Past and sort of reworking them to fit the game, they're excellent, man. Like, yeah. My favorite is the uh, the Dark World theme. Yeah. I don't know. I'm if just loving the, their yet, take but... on the OG Dungeon theme, man. Yeah, that horn that comes in, like you're sort of thinking that it is the same track, but it doesn't come out as that dungeon track right away. And then this horn just kind of comes in real low and gets louder. And it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so friggin' soothing. The homage they pay to Link to the Past. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Nostalgic. Just... Oh, a great experience and I think yeah I mean it sucks that it's only on 3DS but here's the hoping that yeah. if they're going to prolong the Switch 1 releases mm-hmm. that's on the table yeah, for people who stick with the Switch until they can buy the successor which we don't know when it's going to come out but hopefully soon maybe next yeah. year <laughs> Yeah. Um, we also got more of a look at uh, Princess Peach Showtime. Um, What were your thoughts about that? Well, I thought it was pretty interesting because of the fact that, I mean, she has different outfits that do different things. Um, Mm -hmm. I still need to see more of the gameplay to see, like, what exactly are we going to do in terms of, like, what is it mostly platforming? Is it mostly like just adventure? What, 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 what kind of game really is it? Uh, that's what I want to see more of. But um, I think it's a better type of game already than Super Princess Peach, which is I think the DS version, mm-hmm. the DS game that Princess Peach was a part of, where it was mostly her emotions, like her crying or getting angry, things mm-hmm. like that. I didn't play it, but. It didn't seem like it was a popular game, but I think this game would be a little bit better in terms of Princess Peach being able to do more things and like she's a solid role model, like uh, just like uh, compared to being like a damsel in distress in the early games. Right. No, I mean, they're definitely trying to steer away from that archetype for the character just like the movie yeah i mean i found it interesting that like we definitely get a sense that like it's this very theatrical sort of environment that the entire game takes place in and that Uh her costume changes are the things that sort of have the most impact on the gameplay what was weird to me though was just as you mentioned like i still don't have any idea what actual genre this game takes place in like 
it seems like there are some 3D action scenes, particularly with her as the um the like musketeer or like swords person. Yeah. Um, but it has a very strangely like does it take place over stages through the course of the game? Like does the does the theater environment just sort of mutate into different? I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It's it still a little bit more confusing than I think we're generally accustomed to Nintendo presenting these ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Usually you get like a real crystal clear idea of like what Nintendo's doing with a particular game. And with this, it was a little bit like sort of oddly proto in terms of like, this is what kind of game it is. Like we know who it stars. We know there's costume changes. We know there's like this theater gone mad sort of thing, but a little little odd. The theme is interesting. Just, we need more gameplay, like clarity. Yep. And then I'll be excited depending on what they do. But it was um, very, it was very, very tightly edited. Yeah. Um, The other Mario game (laughs) that we're getting Yep. Um, is a reissue of the GameCube's Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. Um, now, this is a remaster, I, I would I would think. Right? I think so, yeah. Th- this would definitely qualify as a remaster, because I think to a large extent, they haven't touched the assets. Like, they've been mostly kept intact. Yeah. Um, uh, I own that game. I beat that game. I enjoyed it immensely. I know there's a lot of people for whom, like, they see this as like the peak of the Paper Mario games. Yeah. Um, Any thoughts on it? The reason why a lot of people feel that way is because they felt like it felt more like a traditional um, type of game. Is it really an RPG to be? To be fair, or is it? It is in that there are RPG dynamics that sort of shape the game in terms of like your guy levels up this that and the other yeah um it's hybrid in the sense that like all of the traversal is very platformy yeah so compared it's to that kind of to... like um you can almost think of it as like uh zelda 2 the adventure of link yeah but if all of the combat was like menu driven yeah that, that's a good description, I would think. Um, yeah. Compare that to the most recent Paper Mario, where the attack system is kind of strange when you first come uh, come to it, and then you look at it and you say, "What? What's going on?" And yeah. then after you know thirty minutes of playing, then you're like, "I, I kind of get it," but mm. a lot of people were turned off by that because they felt like it's. Yeah, you're trying something new, but at the same time, you don't have to overcomplicate a game like that. You you want to be able to play it in a more traditional style, like the Thousand Year Door, right? So, um, I am excited to play this game, mm-hmm. but we all know that this direct in general is is kind of having that feeling where it's like, yeah, we know this is the kind of like we're tying the the loose ends here. We know this right. is the end of the switch. So this is what we got. 
what's left. A lot of it has been reported before, so most of it was not anything new. But mm-hmm. um, um, I'm gonna. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I I have to address F zero ninety nine. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let me know what you think. You know, here's the thing. I. I so long for a return to that series, and there now hasn't been like a major console release. I know there was like maybe one or two other Game Boy games that dropped after, or Game Boy Advance games that dropped after F Zero GX, but mm. um, I. I the the thing that terrifies me is that if F zero ninety nine comes out and it does terrible numbers in terms of downloads and nobody plays it, then they're gonna go, oh, well, clearly this audience has no interest in this game anymore. Just like the Capcom Ultimatum, right? The famous it, Capcom Ultimatum <laughs> with Darkstalkers, right? And Darkstalkers Res- Resurrection. <laughs> and it feels like such a shitty bellwether for that. You yeah. know what I mean? Because like, yeah, you you made a battle royale out of a thirty year old uh, quasi three D two D game, and like, to be fair, I'm gonna download it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna give it a chance. Yeah, um, because I love me some F Zero, and I've literally been on the ground floor with F Zero since the first game dropped. I mean, I imported that sucker for my Super Famicom in, like, really early 1991. Yeah, I know. I I know how much of a fan you are. Yeah. I I mean, mean, I adore that series, and I just... It's so sad to me that, like, this wasn't at least just, like, a remaster of F-Zero GX. To me would be a much more fair assessment of like what the temperature is in the marketplace because that's still a really beautiful game. And especially after seeing Metroid prime remastered, if F zero GX got the same kind of coat of paint, it would be a really good looking game. You know, whether or not they went to the trouble to add network play to it or not, I'm assuming with Nintendo, probably not. Even if that, even if that came to fruition, um, so yeah, like a bit, a bit salty <laughs> with the freebie battle royale offering with F Zero, but at the same time, like when you're starving or dying of thirst, like you will drink your own piss. Huh. So <laughs> I'm just well. <laughs> Just, just to add a little bit on what Is you it said right about to drink piss, even <laughs> uh, if it's your own. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, think of it as like you know bio recycling. I guess I don't know. Sure. But, yeah, but uh, n- not getting back to piss, but getting back to um, GX F Zero yeah. GX. Mm-hmm. The person who uh, was director of that game uh, or producer Toshihiro Nagoshi. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that also did the Yakuza series for Sega before he formed his own studio. Yeah. I think they asked him in an inter- interview, 
Like people want F Zero GX. What do you think? He said, "Yeah, if Nintendo called me, I'd totally make it." <laughs> yeah. So I I I, <laughs> I hope they call him. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say, I downloaded it yesterday. Yeah. It's fun. It's really good. good. Okay. It's really really good. I have no problems getting ninety nine people to play with, you know, ninety eight, okay. and it, uh, you know, with me being a huge fan of Pac Man ninety nine, and that's mm-hmm. going by the wayside in October, right? Which saddens me. Mm-hmm. I mean, this game is basically going to have a shelf life too. I don't know if they're going to re-release it on the next Switch or whatnot. Well, but, that, that's the other bummer about it is that we yeah. know that all the ninety nine games. Are very temporary. <laughs> Look at Super Mario Brothers 35. People were pissed when that got pulled like so quickly. Right. Because people were having fun. Why would you deny people fun? Especially when the Switch was still like not even close to the midpoint of its life. Right. You mm-hmm. decide to pull it. And it's you did it all for the celebration of 35 years of Super Mario. But <laughs> you couldn't even keep it for a year. So Right. Um, it's now an unplayable lost game. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. But um, with F zero ninety nine, I think uh, as long as people keep playing it, hopefully that'll signal to Nintendo, hey, this is still popular. You should really think about making a game out of a new game. And right. there's been reports where people at Nintendo have been saying, yeah, we really want to make F zero, but we don't know how to make it innovative or make it different from other racers out there or even f-zero in the past and it's like well dude it's you're doing f-zero 99 think about 99 players playing online but in a new f-zero isn't that going to be i've got to take that with a giant like okay but yeah like you basically took the anti-grav concept and you grafted it onto mario kart yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like... <laughs> We've talked about that before, and yeah, yeah it's like, uh, <laughs> don't tell me that stuff. Because, yeah, I, I mean, the, the the thing is, the place where they could go bananas with that game is if you really gave players like a very robust vehicle building system, which F Zero GX had, and if anything. That kind of thing is much more in vogue today than yep. it ever was before. Create a player. Create if a people can build their machine. own cars and their own tracks. And their own character to drive it. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and not only that, I mean, there's always some certain gameplay things that they can always improve on and also keeping up 60 frames, things like that. I think... Uh, it would be great for the next system because yeah. from what everyone's been saying about, you know, the close behind closed doors showings of the supposed switch to at Gamescom recently, mm-hmm. they said, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's PlayStation five good, but people are saying it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Nice. So we'll we'll see, but that would be great to have it on that new system because that should handle it, whether it's portable or a console, like play at home. For sure. Yeah. All right. 
We're going to take a brief little time out here so that you can hear from some of our compatriots over at the Ruminations Radio Network. We've got a boatload of shows addressing everything from horror movies and cinema to music to Twin Peaks to everything you can shake a stick at that is good and delightful in this world. So check them out at ruminationsradionetwork.com and we'll be right back. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com. We're back. Hey, guys. How you doing? You still there? Uh, so, hey. oh, um, uh, I just want to, if it's okay, quick shout yeah. out to Brevity Box, one of the the fellow podcasters on the Ruminations Radio Network. They had a lot of nice things to say about our show oh. in their recent episode. That's delightful. Yeah. yeah. Props, um, props they're great are... guys. Yeah. They're funny. They're funny. <laughs> uh, Triple C, Becky, and Mitch. Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time I listen to that podcast, it makes me crack up because just it's like like just hanging out with your friends and they say funny things and it makes you like crack up. Like I always crack up at least two or three times every time I like real loud <laughs> when I listen to their shows. So I, I think uh, if if you visit the website, check them out. RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Sure. But yeah, thank you, Brevity Box. We love your show, too. So. This is a much less fun topic. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people done flip their shit this week. And I don't, yeah. I don't know that there's a better way to put it. But mm. um, on September 12th, which was Wednesday or Tuesday earlier this yep. week. um Unity, which is this engine that, you know, they're a company that has a game creation engine that basically a lot of people have been cutting their teeth on um, for years now. And they announced a policy called the Unity Runtime Fee that will charge companies for every installation of their game once certain thresholds have been crossed. And to say that this caused a stir is really underselling <laughs> the yeah. kind of gargantuan shitstorm that occurred this week. It's unprecedented because yeah. they basically rewrote their terms of service. They literally mm-hmm. did. Yeah. <laughs> on GitHub. But mm. never, well, I shouldn't say never, but. Um, there hasn't been a case in the video game world where someone said, hey, we're going to charge you more money. And not only that, retro actively charge you money. So even if you made a game three years ago, that will still be under this uh, runtime fee. So suddenly you end up owing like thousands of dollars or, you know, well, crazy amounts. The, you know, they backtracked on a variety of those things now. Um, yeah, at the very least, it was a colossal communications clusterfuck 
of, you know, biblical scale <laughs> is essentially yeah. what happened. I mean, there were a lot of really angry people in the indie development community. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's a huge engine that right. powers the indie game industry. Yeah. But, I mean, even big corporations use Unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Nintendo does. I believe the recent Advance Wars 1 and 2 remake that mm-hmm. uses Unity, I believe. Right. And that's what the, you know, when they give some projects to outside devs to work with their, fran- uh, you know, their titles, their franchise uh, licenses, sometimes they'll use that instead of, you know, Nintendo's kind of busy, so they're not going to, like, give you their engine. So, yeah, sometimes you have to use Unity or Godot or Unreal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, I mean, did you hear about Cult of the Lamb saying, like, we're going to take our game off the Steam uh, stores on January 1st because we don't want to pay any more taxes? And right. that's like a really popular game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Well, yeah, what do you, what I mean, do you think uh, about it. You know, it's a it's definitely a complex story. You know, there yeah. are rumors that there were some stock dumps ahead of the oh, announcement yeah. by the CEO. Some, yeah, <laughs> yeah, two thousand shares. <laughs> yeah, I mean, four days before, I think. It's crazy. John Rossitiello yep. has already become like a real sort of like kind of a poster child for everything that is not great about the games business in especially, the 21st century. Especially microtransactions. Yeah. I mean, he's the one that pushed loot boxes for FIFA 09. Um, he. You know, he said and they the, brought up the idea that, like, yeah, well, hell, every time somebody reloads a weapon in Battlefield, like, it should cost players a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's sort of the thing is that, like, all right, like, you know, there are two primary models that have developed basically in that you have free to play games. And in those games, the expectation is that, well, if you really want to play this at a high level or if you want some shiny trinket that you think is amazing, you know, a set of golf clubs, a new outfit, you know, being able to cheat, whatever it is, you pay for it. And that works for a lot of games. You know, there's a lot, you know, particularly in the mobile market, I mean, that's a massive deal, you know, those sorts of service games. Um, But on the other side, in terms of like the traditional console model where for 40 to 70 bucks now, since the late 1980s, you buy a game, there's an expectation that it's a complete game. And I think the interesting thing that, we've seen over time is that, you know, in the early sort of CD DVD ROM era, game companies really went in on delivering like 
a lot of content for that sort of complete price. Like now I think of like, you know, Bandai Namco has definitely not been shy about turning their fighting games into seasonal DLC machines. But there was a time when like, say with Tekken five for PlayStation two, you got a very robust and stunning port of that game. Plus you had this little arcade museum that had Tekken's one, two and three. Yeah. The arcade versions of those games playable. Um, so that pendulum has definitely swung in a pretty intense way towards, you know, a lot of developers going, you know, sort of crossing the line at times. I mean, a, a famous example of this that wasn't too long ago was the debacle that was Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Yeah. In which there was a boatload of DLC that was on the disc. Um, they had this gems system that you could wind up spending a lot of money out of your own pocket to unlock different abilities. Um, you know, this is like forever a battleground, um, between companies and consumers and like what people will accept, what they won't accept. Um, what do you think of this stuff, Eddie? I mean, well, you feel bad, but at the same time, you're very angry. Yeah. Because this affects everyone. Mm-hmm. The only people that benefit from this is the CEO and the, the people who run that company. Mm-hmm. And it hurts the developers because now you have a quandary where you have to really watch who where you distribute like if you give out free codes for promotional purposes Mm -hmm. or give out review codes can't do that because well you can but it's going to cost you a lot if you do too many of those and then you also have um free to play games that suffer from it because they're already taking that risk where they're putting out a game where you don't have to pay for it, but if you want to pay for certain things, you're more than welcome to, but you're not. Well, they try to make it so you kind of are pushed to pay a little bit at least. Right. But now those companies are up a creek because it's like they're already taking a huge risk. Now, anytime anyone installs the game and they already get it for free, <laughs> there's no, you're, you're actually, risking losing a lot of money like right there's going to be way more people that don't pay for that game compared to a person that pays like maybe one to five dollars for a game but at least they pay something right guaranteed so yeah it's terrible for them it's terrible for geez like you can imagine microsoft is not happy about it because they have game pass and guess what A lot of these games are made with Unity, and there was a debate on, hey, does that mean that if a small developer makes a game and it's picked up by Microsoft for Game Pass, do they have to pay that fee? Right. And there was a, like, oh, no, that gets passed along to the distributor, which is Microsoft. Uh Uh-huh. And Apple Arcade does that, too. 
Yeah. And they're not going to be happy. And guess what? They probably have the best lawyers in the in the world. Yeah. So good luck uh, trying to get that pushed because uh, that's not going to go very far. Because yeah, it's easy to see Apple, Sony, and Microsoft. Yeah. Or Nintendo. Yep. Getting yep. together and being like, uh, nope, you can't do this. Nope. <laughs> nope. Once that uh, end user license agreement gets uh, hammered down and yeah. the fees are set, you can't do that retroactively. Right. It's not legal. Well, there's even questions about whether or not, like, well, how the hell do you do this? That's another quandary. With a lot of, with a lot of these games, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't tell who is, uh, like, abusing the like like uh there's been talk about what if someone hates this company because they did something that they got offended by so they try to reinstall and uninstall their game multiple times to make them actually drive up the costs that and they address that saying like oh you're limited to like you know one device one install however if you buy a game and let's say that you buy a switch and your switch gets broken, you have to transfer your game to another switch. That's another install. That counts. Right. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it, it just it there's a lot. It's amazing to think like well, did you guys re- like sit and actually game this out at all? Obviously not. In terms of like, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> a, how it would be received. B, how it would be when people began to sort of poke and pick at it and figure out like, well, what if this? Like, yeah. it's pretty. It's pretty awesomely like ham-handed. Oh, it it's definitely the sites were to uh, to get money. I mean. Yeah. Uh, there's been reports that although the annual uh, profits are still pretty high at Unity, net losses are at the two million range. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, sure, you're still making money, I guess, but not as yeah. much, I guess. I don't know, but uh, you could have easily made a system where you hike up the prices, but don't do something like that runtime fee. I mean. Mm-hmm. Geez, they already have people on subscriptions for Unity, a yearly subscription, and they're already removing one of the tiers that most of the uh, the smaller developers used, and now they're forcing them to join a different tier that costs a lot more. Mm-hmm. So to add a subscription model along with this runtime fee, it's ridiculous, especially yeah. retroactively. Mm-hmm. And they didn't sign up for that. People are saying, devs are saying, if you if we knew we were going to do this, we have we would have never even touched your game engine. We would have easily went on a different route. Yeah, but you screwed a lot of people over. There are some people that have been developing ga- a game on Unity for like two three years, and now they're stuck. They're either going to have to rebuild everything on another engine or they're going to have to just take their lumps because they're too far in. And I wouldn't be surprised if they sued Unity because, yeah. But just my final thought on this, um, Mm -hmm. it all comes back to John, Ricky Teodel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he was quoted in a an interview. Called, uh, I think it was Pocket Gamer, mm-hmm. where he called uh, over generous uh, developers like great people, but they're the biggest fucking idiots. Right. He said that in the interview because they don't monetize their games. Yeah. And now John is saying, "Well, if you're not gonna, you know, take advantage of monetization, I'll take advantage of you." Right. What do you think about that? And yeah. all the devs are saying, well, we're going to take our business elsewhere now and our generosity will be towards other engines not related to you or your businesses. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, it sucks in the short term. And Unity sounded like uh, it, it was a pretty good engine, but no, this does not fly. It doesn't fly yeah. with any sort of business. And the only way they can save Unity now is they get rid of John and they get rid of anyone related to him because there's some higher ups in that company, especially from Iron Source, from what I understand. Uh, Iron mm. Source, uh, they got bought up by Unity and they were known to have like a. Uh, I, I don't know the specifics, but a lot of people were upset when they were acquired because they were uh, a type of company that put like uh, malware on certain programs. Okay. And they got acquired by Unity because they were, you know, acquaintances with the uh, current CEO. So that's what I heard, but don't quote me on that. But yeah, that's why people started to become disillusioned with unity in general like the direction was going pretty south even before what happened this week essentially what happened here was that unity technologies did to developers what dave Chappelle as rick james did to charlie murphy with that unity ring yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> unity <laughs> Charlie Murphy. <laughs> Charlie Murphy. <laughs> At any rate, um, moving on to an infinitely more pleasant topic to round out the episode. Um, it was announced recently that uh, Indie Zero um, will be developing uh, the Game Center CX Arno Challenge One and Two replay for the Switch. Yes. Um, and that is awesome news, especially for those of us that are giant Game Center CX fans. Um, the show is nearing its 20th anniversary. Um, I know that you have at least once dressed as the Cacho. Um, yes, I have for Halloween. Um, I have it was fun for people that don't know about Game Center CX. Talk a little bit about what the show is, how you discovered it, and kind of what it means to you. Okay. Um, well, Game Center CX is about uh, a fictional uh, worker at a video game company who plays games, and uh, a lot of the time he is not very good at these games, so he struggles a lot. But that at makes the same it fun time, to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he plays, of course, retro games. Uh, since he is living in Japan, he uh, 
tries out games from Famicom, Super Famicom, and nowadays uh, he can play even up to PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games because they're now considered retro. But Mm -hmm. the reason why there's an appeal watching the show is, number one, you want to root for him because he tries Mm -hmm. so hard. And he doesn't really show like... like, You know how people, uh, you see them rage out when they are not doing so hot in the game and they throw their controller, things like that. He's the Mm -hmm. absolute opposite where he's like, he's just patient as a saint and he's just playing. He'll make snide jokes because he's a Japanese comedian. Right. (laughs) He's a real Japanese comedian. So it's, it's much more of a source for comedy than it is like pure rage. Yeah. Yeah. And just seeing his reactions and yeah, that's Mm -hmm. already funny. But at the same time, you want to cheer for him because, you know, he he reminds you of us at one point. Mm-hmm. We're we're playing a hard game and we're struggling, but perseverance pays off. Um, right, and that's the show. Um, that it's also very informational uh, with mm-hmm. uh, visiting game centers around Japan and also uh, talking about the history of video games. Yeah. So, if you can, if you're able to watch the show, yeah, there's ways to watch it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's. People, there's there's some very the large torrents out there with yeah. fan-subbed episodes. And really, like, I know they, they attempted a sort of release of it here stateside that yes. it didn't really take off. And mm. to be honest, like, I can kind of see why. Because, I mean, like, I've been somebody that's now been importing my own video games for over 30 years. Yeah. And so, uh, number one, I'm very comfortable with Japanese language things. Number two, I feel like there's such a spirit inherent in the original Japanese version of that show. And, you know, maybe with the right writers and the right sort of voiceovers or whatever, you could do it justice. But it's an, I would call that an extraordinarily tall task. And yeah. I think the first version of it, which was titled Retro Game Challenge, which was the English version of it. Uh, the game, right? Because it was, retro well, it was game the title Master. of the game, but it was also how they were selling Game Center CX here yeah. in the US. And yeah. it just, it was just, it just left a lot on the table. Um, especially because that comedian, he's doing a lot with his, with his face, with his voice, with his timing about things. I mean, it's a real challenge to try and distill what makes that show great and roll it out in an English version, I think. Yeah. Um, so you know, unfortunately, that sort of puts it forever in like the the zone of grayware. And the difficult thing about the show as well, though, is that even with the Japanese DVD box sets of the show, there isn't really like a one to one creation of those same episodes because a lot of times there are various bits that, like. They didn't. They weren't able to carry the licensing like completely through. So there are some elements of the original broadcast that have to get left off the table or left off the DVD releases, even in Japan. Yep. Um, 
you know, it's a very complex animal from a licensing standpoint. So that's also a thing that has sort of led to the, well, really the only way to enjoy this thing in its pure state is bootlegging to some extent. Yeah. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, like there's such a fun spirit to that show. Um, I think the thing that I can compare it to that would be the most easily relatable is like, if you think about mystery science three theater, 3000, but pretend that it's a Japanese gamer who is being forced to play a litany of games, some of which are very, very hard. Um, and those tend to make for like the most entertaining of the episodes. I mean, yeah. I think about him playing like Castlevania three or Ninja Gaiden two yeah. and just dying a lot. <laughs> well, he, he does have the uh, benefit of uh, every season. He'll have like a special helper mm-hmm. that if he'd request it, yeah. he'll be able to play the game for him for up to a certain point or give him advice, things like that. Yeah, the assistant so. directors also function as like really interesting and compelling personalities on the show. And there's been like oh, yeah. a bunch of them over the years. Um, 17 years. Yeah. I think they're or 17 seasons. I don't remember if it's years or seasons, but it's a lot. Well, I know we're approaching the 20th anniversary. Um, and it's a little bit convoluted because like we tend to think of an American television season as being, or we used to think of it as like, Oh, it's 22 episodes that air between like September and May. And then they take summers off. But I think the seasons of game center, there were fewer episodes and it would encompass like a smaller amount of time. Yeah. So it's a little bit of an apples to oranges sort of comparison, but at any rate, I'm very excited about RNO challenge one and two replay coming for switch. Um, Indie zero, basically the whole conceit of those games is like, what would it be like if you had a meta game that sort of represented being a gamer in the Famicom era and sort of watching these releases come out for your system and like you get a new game and there are challenges to be met certain conditions like get this score reach this level or do X. Um, And there's like little fictional magazines that are also in the game. Um, Yeah. So they just did this unbelievably charming job of sort of capturing that era in gaming and then distilling it into playable form. I I like those fictional magazines because they're the ones that give you hints on how Mm -hmm. to either cheat in the game, the Mm -hmm. codes or strategies on how to beat the game. Totally. Secrets as well. So there's some really beautifully realized, like, yeah, very, very pure and lovely examples of pixel art games in those titles. Um, I've actually, I know you played, you played the first two, right? Uh, definitely, uh, most of the first one. Okay. Uh, the second one I played it a little bit. I need to play more, but, um, now that it's coming out on switch, I have a second chance to do that. Yeah. Um, that came out only in Japan. I believe the second mm-hmm. one, the first yep. one came out retro game master. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, what's really awesome about that game is the fact that um, it, you can actually play multiple systems. Like, there's a game 
there's games that are on a fictional type of Famicom system, and then there's going to be a Game Boy mm-hmm. in uh, one of the uh, remastered uh, versions. I forget if it's one or two, but yeah, there's going to be different handhelds, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see like different graphics and probably even sound footnotes, things like that. I'm pretty sure the faux Game Boy and 16-bit games were in the second title. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to add a, a game, a new game that's going to play like River City Ransom. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be fun to see. Um, the, the third one didn't get included. Some people who are in the know probably think, well, why, why isn't the third one in there? Um, it's because it was made by G-Rev. And uh, that was not well received either. Not only is it not made by Indies Zero, so it can't be included, but there was a lot of review bombing when that game came out because they felt like, oh, it feels too much like a like a smartphone game or cell phone game. Mm. Which, when you're Very catering, it's with the classic console era. Yeah, when you're when you're catering to guys who know classic gaming, the last thing you want to do is make it feel like a more like a smartphone game. So. Yep. But Indie Zero, they're really good at what they do because they've made uh, the NES Remix games and they made a game called Sushi Striker, I believe, which was really popular on 3DS. Yeah. So I'm really surprised, actually, that there hasn't been an NES Remix That I would love to Switch. see again. I mean, yeah. for the 40th anniversary of Famicom, right? Is yeah. it 40th? Yeah. 40th, yep. They had that would have made website. a lot of sense. That, they could have brought that down, but yeah. they did not. That stays on the 3DS and Wii U. Yeah. So there you go. <sighs> well, at any rate, it's still an exciting development. It's not something that I expected, so it's definitely a pleasant surprise. Those games have a lot of heart and a lot of love for that era, so you know, yeah. will probably definitely be worth importing as well. Um you know, yeah. it, it doesn't we'll seem likely. Soon. It doesn't seem likely that there would be a translated release of those. No, but, you but know, weirder things have happened. <laughs> yeah, and if not, there'll be a FAQ on it. Yep. Um, but yeah, we don't know when it comes out. I don't believe, but they'll have it at Tokyo Game Show, which is next week at awesome. the time of this recording. So we'll know more later. Are you going to Tokyo Game Show? Ah, uh, not this year. I wish I could. Damn. Um, I'm thinking maybe next year or so now yeah. that COVID is kind of calmed down a lot. Yeah. I think that's on, that's on the horizon. I want to do it again. I've only been to a TGS one time. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. Maybe that I should think about that. Ago. Maybe that would make a good moment for a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Go together. Let me know. I've never been to a Tokyo game show. It's fun. It's no E3, but well, there's no E3 anymore anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> much it's just as well yeah it's still fun yeah Yeah. definitely worth it you got summer game trailer showcase whatever it is with uh what's his bucket as host yeah keekly jeff keekly yeah i think we just got uninvited from that forever that's okay oh no you still love us (laughs) we're still your favorite podcast so you still love us stop it At any rate, I'll be um, modest. I'll be modest. <laughs> as always, it has been a fantastic time sitting and 
bullshitting about the world of games and the things we care about, Eddie. Um, yes. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for dropping in on another fine episode of Oh God, It Hurts. We love you forever. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.